Welcome back to Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. I'm David Brown, Pinnacle Associate and Pastor of the Welcome Table in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And I'm Rhonda Blevins, Pinnacle Associate and Pastor of Chapel by the Sea on Clearwater Beach, Florida. And today we're continuing in Season 5 of Pastor Life Podcast, The New Normal, question mark, question mark, question mark, (laughs) where we try to figure out if there really is an emerging new normal here in the post-pandemic or the endemic world, and asking important questions about what that means for the church, navigating church leadership, um, what are the challenges that we're facing these days? And what is some wisdom that we pastors might apply to these situations? Bring on the wisdom. One of the things that we're discovering is that the idea of a new normal may really not exist because the world is changing so rapidly. There's so much volatility that once we settle into a new normal, the thing, you know, the goalpost is moved once again. Right, David? So what you're saying is that the new normal is that it will always be changing, which may (laughs) very well be the case. Uh, (sighs) I'm tired thinking about it, David. (laughs) Well, maybe we bring in some help. And as we have been doing this season and in previous seasons, we're bringing on some of our friends and Pinnacle Associates and other uh, ministry folks who have a few things to contribute to this conversation. Uh, Today, we're talking with Michael Bingham. Uh, Rhonda, tell us a little bit about Michael. Yeah, so Michael is one of our newest Pinnacle Associates, just recently joined the team. Michael began his professional career in the business world, and he worked in processing control and industrial management. For over 25 years, Michael has served as a youth minister. He's been a fire department chaplain and a local church pastor. So whether it's on a factory floor, a disaster scene, or a personal tragedy, a prison cell, a firehouse, or a worship space, Michael brings humor insight, and the grace of a loving God. Michael draws from these varied experiences to bring a fresh perspective to consulting and to coaching, and he has a passion for helping individuals grow as disciples who walk in the way of Jesus and churches reach their full potential as gathered communities. So Michael and his wife live in Greenville, South Carolina. What's up with all the South Carolina folks on our team? (laughs) And he serves as lead pastor at Aldersgate United Methodist Church. I am really excited just to have some more conversation with Michael, and we're going to focus a little bit around the ideas of safety, safetyism, safety theater. What does all this mean in a, in a COVID slash post-COVID world? So uh, here's the pod. On this season of Pastor Life, Rhonda and I are experimenting a bit with our format. For each episode, one of us will offer a brief reflection on the topic that will lead us into the larger conversation, often with a special guest. As we explore the idea of a new normal and wonder if that's even a thing, it's clearer now than ever that we live in a rapidly changing world. Uncertainty may be the only certainty for life in 2022 in the church, and certainly more broadly as well. And swirling all around us in this volatile environment are many voices inviting us to be afraid, to batten down the hatches, to seek out certainty and control with what we think we can. And in our fractured society, these voices often have agendas. They distract and they divide. 
They can occupy our attention and our energy. They can keep us from living out the mission to which we are called. In this new context, as we search for a new normal, what stories are we telling ourselves about the emerging world around us, about its challenges and its opportunities? Are we exhausting ourselves to respond to perceived threats, church bullies, or politically charged rhetoric? How might we be intentional about turning our thoughts, energy, and resources toward the creative ways that God's Spirit is inviting us to engage this new normal? I'm glad you're listening. Rhonda and I hope you'll join us in this conversation. In fact, if you've got something to share about perceived threats, church bullies, or safetyism, stop by our Facebook page and leave a comment. Or record a brief voice memo on your phone and email it to pastorlifepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We want this to be a conversation. Now on to our special guest, Michael Bingham. Here we are. Thank yeah. you for the welcome. I appreciate it, guys. Glad to be with you. Glad to have you here today. So when we were crowdsourcing with our Pinnacle team about topics to consider, issues that uh, churches and church leaders are having in what we're thinking of s- sort of as the new normal, you brought up this idea that I hadn't even considered or thought about, but um, safetyism. Can you tell me what that word means to you for starters? Yeah, I think safetyism, uh, and I think David mentioned a, a moment ago, another word that's associated with that is safety theater. Hmm. And I think of safetyism as uh, the things we, we do, the rituals maybe even, that we uh, engage in that help us feel safer, but they may not actually change whether or not we're, we're safe. Hmm. Uh, we all uh, used hand sanitizer like crazy uh, during the pandemic, washing our hands. And we knew by April, May of 2020 that no one was catching COVID by touching a, a, an infected surface. Right. And yet to this day, that's a big deal. Uh, and so safetyism, uh, you sometimes see this in the way that uh, people behave uh, and an, an unusual emphasis or focus on things that they think will make them safe. And in fact, sometimes uh, they may lead to them being less safe. And so people have a tendency, I think, when when you're experiencing high anxiety, people tend to retreat back into what they know, into what is or feels normal. And uh, that's a human reaction. And uh, but it's not always the right reaction. It strikes me that some of this is about what we think we know. And not even really what we actually know if we search out and look for for data related to whatever problem we're facing. I know recently with Halloween, uh, you know, these stories that we tell ourselves about Halloween candy that's spiked with a drug or has a razor blade embedded in it or something like that. You know, the reality is that if if we focus news attention or the stories that we tell around that kind of a threat, which has never actually happened as far as I think has, has been documented, we might overlook the fact that I think it's something like four or five children are severely injured or die due to car accidents on Halloween every year. 
And so the stories we tell ourselves about what the risks or perceived risks are might actually keep us from dealing with what the actual risks are. Is that is that sort of where you're headed with this? Absolutely. In fact, if you think about the idea of someone spiking uh, candy with, with heroin, you know, people who are addicted to heroin don't give their heroin away. I mean, it just doesn't even really make sense. That's just not what people do. And and yet, this this year on Halloween, tragically, in Greenville, we had a teenager struck by a car and killed. Oh, and, and, you know, as you said, we don't have any documented cases of, of people spiking candy anywhere in America in history. And yet every year they trot those stories out on the news, how to check to see if the candy's been tampered with. Yeah. And it's like, look, wear reflective clothing, uh, you, you know, stay on the sidewalk, you know, look both ways, you know, drive slow, tra- you know, yeah, drive people that are driving. Beware. Yeah. You know, that, that would save more lives and make more sense. And so the theater is that we're all going to be careful about the candy that make sure we don't have any spiked candy. There is no spiked candy. Where do you see this playing out most directly in churches? How have you observed this or, or what, do, what do we need to be looking for Um well, I think in, for me and where I'm coming from, I think so many churches are scared to death to make a mistake. They're just so scared that they might do something that's wrong. I can remember I, I started in ministry uh, in 1998, and I remember a, a minister who was, uh, we were in a, a small group learning lessons from people that were retired. So we had a retired minister back in 1998 who said, as a piece of advice, that I dutifully jotted down on a sheet of paper. Don't change your hairstyle without kind of warning people ahead of time. And what are you talking about that I've got to worry so much about the way my hair looks that I got to warn people? I mean, are you kidding me? That's the kind of thing that I should be worried about. And yet in churches, you know, we worry about doing the wrong thing or doing the right thing incorrectly. And so it, it freezes us. And yet you go out in the business world. And they'll talk about wanting to fail more quickly so they can learn the lessons that we all learn from failing. Think about how a child learns to walk. They got to bust their backside a few times before they can learn how to walk. And if you keep a child from doing that, the child uh, will never walk, you know. And so that idea of continuous improvement uh, in the business world or uh, in the fire department, I encounter things called hot washes where they sit down and, and brutally sometimes critique their own performance and the performance of others at an emergency scene. And they do that so they can learn lessons for the next time. Well, speaking of your fire department experience, what um, lessons did you learn in the fire department that translate well to the church? Like what do pastors and clergy need to be thinking about by way of what is actually, um, what are actually some safety measures that we should be thinking about? And what is more like safetyism? safety theater, stuff we can kind of let go of now that we're a couple, two and a half, three years into a pandemic? Well, yeah, so that is a great question. I think some of the safety theater that we see is still this stuff about washing surfaces. I, I still see that. And, and and frankly, I see people, uh, they're so worried about uh, a contagious disease that's endemic, you know, and still behaving as if there is a pandemic on and and I guess there is in some ways but it's time to get beyond that I think and and start acting with a sense of uh, boldness but I think you know if you think about the the emergency things that that you need to prepare for 
Very few churches have a decent first aid kit. And yet you can't go into very many places that don't have an AED. You know, so if I have this AED in case somebody has a heart attack, which is great. I'm not saying don't have an AED. But do you have a decent first aid kit? Do you have a, a boo-boo kit for when a, somebody gets a carpet burn or, or they nick a finger? And then do you have a real first aid kit and some people that know how to use it? Uh, and then do you, are your fire exits blocked? I've gone into so many churches and, you know, I'm not a fire marshal, never been a fire marshal. But those kind of things make my skin crawl and I can't, you know, uh, I, I know what happens. And uh, so I, I don't leave those I'll pull somebody aside and point things out sometimes, but, uh, you know, just doing the basics, of uh, that sort of thing and not worrying about the, the esoteric things again, that don't actually happen. Yeah. It, it seems to me that there's sort of this way of thinking about safety or risk that can be, it can free us up to really throw energy toward our mission in the world if there are certain real risks that we do mitigate or that we plan for. And at the same time, there can be sort of these false risks or perceived risks that paralyze us and keep us from pursuing our mission wholeheartedly. And I think figuring out how to, how to tease those out is maybe what interests me about this conversation. And so would you have any thoughts about how do we tease out what is a what is a reasonable risk that we ought to take steps to mitigate so that it frees us up to pursue our mission? And then how do we know if something is really a perceived risk that we're using up our resources to uh, or spinning our wheels to counter a risk that really is a, a perceived risk? Let, let me use a fire department example first, and then I'll try to bring it into the church. Uh, you know, one of the tools that's used commonly on a fire scene is a, is a chainsaw. And uh, chainsaws cause more homeowners to go to the ER every year than any other power tool in the home. Uh, and the fire department has some rules that are, in my experience and, and as a, someone watching it, that are really strictly enforced about how you handle a chainsaw. At the same time, they use the chainsaw and they use them a lot and they use them in some extraordinary ways that used to terrify me as a chaplain, you know, watching. So a chainsaw is a dangerous piece of equipment. And so they take certain precautions to try to mitigate the risk that using dangerous equipment, you know, cause at the same time they use them because they, they, they make things better. You know, they, they can save lives and property by the proper use uh, of a chainsaw. In our churches, I think we tolerate behavior that is destructive to the thing we love the most and the people we care about the most. And I'm talking here about poisonous church members and, and people that are, frankly, bullies uh, in our churches and, and people that are hypercritical of all things. And, and we never call those people, or we often, let me not use the word never, but we rarely call those people out and try to mitigate those behaviors. We tolerate those things. And yet we're unwilling to try a new way of worshiping or some new outreach or a new way to use our building that it may not have been intended to you. Oh, we didn't build the gym so that we could have a yard sale inside it. You know, it's, it's meant for sporting events. And so churches, I think, sometimes tolerate some things that they really ought not to tolerate. And then they don't they don't then push themselves in ways that they ought to. Is that 
Does that kind of touch on what you're talking about, David? Yeah, that does. And I think it takes it sort of to a, to a, a whole different level as well, you know, in, in thinking about safety measures or precautions that are about the physical things around us, whether that's COVID or whether that's uh, risks around the building and fire escapes or hazardous things in the parking lot or, uh, and, and really brings it to, to sort of a theological, ecclesiological place of, you know, what are the real things uh, in our midst that threaten how well we can pursue our mission in the world. And sometimes that's ourselves or the people uh, and and the behavior that we put up with. I, I think that's a, a a great move from, uh, you know, to include that idea or that, that area of, of risk versus reward in the congregation. Speaking of real risk, I mean, we've got hand sanitizing stations all over the church now since COVID. But as, you know, as we keep hearing these stories of abuse in the church, you know, clergy abuse, um, you know, the Catholic Church, now the Southern Baptist Church, um, how, you know, how much attention are we focusing on keeping our most vulnerable, our children, our elderly safe from um, nefarious sort of people. Um, you know, I know there are several programs out there. Safe Sanctuary is one. Um, but what would you say about that, Michael? I mean, we're talking about a new normal, and a new normal is there are people out there who want to hurt our most vulnerable. I agree. And, you know, churches or the church, using that term broadly, is one of the few places that that some people who uh, – maybe ostracized from other places or find difficulty fitting in, they're, they're welcomed uh, oftentimes in the churches. And that very welcoming thing means sometimes we uh, we can be too cavalier about that. Uh, I, one thing I wanted to say earlier, too, uh, from the fire department is one of the more common ways that firefighters are injured on the job or even killed is in vehicle accidents. In other words, the fire equipment moving to a scene uh, you know, the, the, the sirens and the lights, that's very dangerous. And yet, uh, although I always wore my seatbelt when I rode on a fire truck, uh, the firefighters often wouldn't. And I know what they're doing. It's just hard. You know, you're getting ready to go run into a burning building, which we all acknowledge is an incredibly risky endeavor. And it's just hard to bring yourself to click a seatbelt, you, you know. And so they'll overlook that risk to their well-being. Uh, and, and I think we do the same thing in our churches. We just don't want to think uh, that that person over there that we know, or maybe we don't know, that may have ill intentions uh, toward vulnerable persons. Uh, and, and, and yet, we, as you said, this has happened again and again. This is a real danger. It is a real danger. And we know it. And, uh, and so we have to mitigate. We, have to, we, have to, we know the best practices. You can literally Google that best practices for, and, and you just can. And and uh, it behooves every one of us uh, to take that very seriously because God help us if it happened on our watch. And there's another population that we might think about in terms of safe practices, and that's the clergy. You know, what measures, what practices do we have in place to eliminate opportunity for those bullies that you mentioned earlier, 
to really take advantage or or do their dirty deeds, so to speak, towards clergy? I wish I had an answer to that. <laughs> Come on, give us yeah. the answer. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I do think a, a more will. You know, we oftentimes as clergy, you know, we want to be the good stu- uh, good servant, uh, and we want to have a servant's heart. And sometimes that means that we're very passive, and we don't stick up for our own selves and take care of ourselves. And you know, and I know, a lot of clergy are are in poor physical shape. Oftentimes, they don't take care of their uh, mental health. Uh, they don't really uh, take care of themselves. I mean, I'm guilty of this. So I'm not casting aspersions here. I live in a glass house. But maybe we ought to take our own well-being more seriously and uh, and be more willing uh, to set those boundaries, those appropriate boundaries where, no, I'm not going to accept that sort of behavior. I'm not going to tolerate that. I, I don't have to, and, and I won't. I won't do it, you know. And I think there are, in addition to to just what are the healthy boundaries that we ought to work to to have in place, there are clear times when people in our churches or who are loosely connected to our churches cross real lines. And I think allowing pastors or giving pastors permission to say when there is a real actual threat that crosses definite boundaries, those need to be reported. And the right authorities need to deal with them. I've I've heard several stories from friends of mine in the ministry world who are having to move through the court process with people who are either at the the fringes or within their congregation. And that doesn't sound like a very appealing thing to do. Um, it's certainly for these people pulling them away from time that they wish they were spending in direct ministry. But I think saying to pastors and to others in the church, when there are clear boundaries that have been crossed, there are processes that are in place in the broader uh, social fabric of our communities that we need to be willing to step into when when necessary. Um, I think so, David. And again, if we took these things more seriously... And if we were more willing to mitigate these risks, then perhaps we would feel more freed up to take those other risks I was thinking about earlier and get away from the safetyism. I mean, the world is is full of threats. Uh, yeah, and frankly, I've, I've come to realize, or at least, and this is my opinion, but I think safety is an illusion. You think about what you're doing when you're cruising down the interstate at 70 plus miles an hour with a few inches separating you from a concrete barrier or an oncoming vehicle, that's really not safe. <laughs> it, it just isn't, you know. Sounds like you've been driving on I-85 lately. <laughs> uh. Well, yes, and I don't always <laughs> obey the posted speed limit. Let's just get that <laughs> on the table. Those that know me will tell Oh, true me. confessions. <laughs> One of the things that spurred my thinking around this and made me really want to, to engage your, uh, your prompt about safetyism was, I had a doctor ministry student this past semester who, for her final project, I had asked them to identify the top three strategic issues in their context and to use the resources from our class uh, to engage those three most important strategic questions. And it surprised me that this student included as one of her top three um, 
negotiating this tension between safety and hospitality. And you touched a little bit on it. Um, and, and there are real safety measures that we ought to devote time and energy to putting in place, the child protection type policies and then, and the COVID protocol type policies. Uh, there is clear direction on these things. Um, there are examples out there. We don't have to recreate the wheel. And they might unlock for us the energy to spend and devote in other areas of ministry because we've done what's needed to 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 address these real issues and threats. Um, but I I just really thought, you know, if we are called to a, a radical hospitality, if we're called to be on mission with God in the world, uh, we really can't let the safetyism, the perceived threats, the bullies within the congregation, you know, detract from that mission. Uh, so I, I just sort of put that out there and, you know, if, if either of you wants to bounce off of that. No, I think that's exactly right. And I, and I think too, that churches uh, consistently overestimate the price of changing and underestimate the price of not changing. And, you know, so, so, and, and maybe that happens in other areas too, like, like this idea, we even talked about it ourselves about, you know, uh, pedophiles or, or, or some threat against our children. And those things really are incredibly rare, even within churches, the same with active shooters. Yes, they happen, but they're really rare. And, and frankly, uh, Jesus calls us, to boldness. You know, Paul talks about that we're not given a spirit of timidity. And, and where is that courage? Uh, where, you know, you know, and again, I dealt uh, with fire, with firefighters. Uh, there's a certain type of person that becomes a firefighter. And obviously that's a, that's a risky endeavor. And so I've seen people with extraordinary, uh, physical courage, uh, and I've watched how they operate. And then I compare that to how I tend to operate in a church setting, which is, Frankly, not that. And and I think about that causes some uh, discomfort there uh, within me that we do need to be more bold, uh, more intentional about living into our calling, about being the best expression of ourselves. And, I, and when I say that, I mean all of us as individuals, but all of us a, as a gathered group of, of Christians on the way in, in walking in the way of Jesus. You know, so oftentimes we want to protect the status quo instead of going out there and changing the world. Yeah, thank you for that. I wonder um, if someone wanted to think more deeply about this. Do you have resources, books or articles or websites that, you know, you could send folks to? I do. And uh, one of them would be a, a failure of nerve uh, leadership in the age of the quick fix by Edwin Friedman. That's a great book. And if you learn which the book kind of tells you the, the versions that are out there, how that book came to be. It's a fascinating story about how that book got published because it was Friedman's masterwork and then he died before it was completed. And so how it got finished and more than a decade after his death published. Uh, and it was written in the mid nineties. He died 96 and you read that book and you think he wrote it yesterday. Uh, you, you know, as far as the way our culture, the way we behave, 
uh, it's it's just astonishing. And then I think uh, the coddling of the American mind is a great book, and that's really geared in a lot of ways toward parenting and educating uh, children. It's subtitle of that book is how good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. But it talks a lot in there about safetyism. And uh, that's Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt who wrote that book. It's not a, that's not a, a religious work at all. It's very, it's a secular work, but it's outstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really challenged my own thinking as, as did Friedman. I, I quote Friedman so much. I, I sometimes joke around with the staff. I quote Friedman more than I do Jesus in staff meetings, you know. <laughs> uh, but but Friedman, you know, one of the things he says uh, is is that, and and I'm paraphrasing a Friedman quote here, but he he talks about our search oftentimes for a fix, and oftentimes problems, especially profound problems, can't really be fixed, and instead that we ought to seek to manage them. And while managing them, manage our own internal emotional processes while the problem just works its way through the system. And I apply that to our social setting right now in America. We're not going to fix what divides red and blue and our politics. And all. it's just it's beyond us. And so instead, we should focus on being the best expression of ourselves we can be while that just works its way through our culture. The books I gave out. Uh, we're not written by Christians, and so I'll offer one more uh, quote from a person who never claimed Christ, and that's Miyamoto Musashi, who's considered to be the greatest swordsman that ever lived. And he wrote a book called The Book of Five Rings. And Musashi said, think lightly of yourself and deeply of the world. And so trust in God and keep your powder dry, as the Patriots said during the Revolution. And that would be my advice to pastors. Well, that's a great word for pastors listening and a great way to end the conversation. Thank you so much, Michael, for being with us on Pastor Life Podcast today. And thank you for listening in. As always, you can learn more about Pastor Life Podcast or Pinnacle Leadership Associates at pinlead.com. That's P-I-N-N-L-E-A-D.com. And you can reach out to us at pastorlifepodcast at gmail.com. We always love to hear from you. And pastors out there, don't forget, trust in God and keep your powder dry.